Find your way over to Isaiah chapter number 63. Alright? If you love Jesus, smile. Alright, smiling is a healthy thing to do. It really is. We need to do it more. Those muscles that bring your your lips up into a smile should be used regularly. Alright? Isaiah chapter number 63. Have you found that? Are you there? Alright, let's use our Bibles tonight. This is a Bible study, so let's get those Bibles out. Stand together for me. And let's read God's Word together. Isaiah chapter 63. Hey, listen, I've been going to church my whole life. And every time I sit down with my Bible, God shows me something where either I can grow and improve or He teaches me something new. Don't get complacent with the Bible. Own one and use it. Someone said a, a, Bible, that is, a Bible that is tattered uh, belongs to someone whose life is not. So have a Bible that's well-worn, well-used, and, uh, uh, and let God uh, continue to bless you from that. You never graduate from growing in your knowledge of God's Word. So keep, let's keep reading and growing. Verse 1, Isaiah 63 says, "...who is he that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah, this, uh, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger, and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength. To the earth. We're going to explain what all that means here, and we're going to attempt to get to the entire Isaiah 63 tonight. The title of our Bible study is this He Who Conquers. We serve a God who conquers. And we're going to look at some of those things that He conquers this evening. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible. It's a wonderful book. Uh, Lord, it is an amazing book, it is a mysterious book. And Lord, tonight we pray that it would be a little less mysterious, at least in this chapter to us as we seek to understand it. Lord, open our eyes and lead us and guide us into truth. And Lord, may that truth help us to be just a little bit more free. Sanctify us by thy truth. Thy word is truth. We ask tonight you work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you know, Isaiah was an Israeli prophet writing to uh, the people of Israel. This week... I got to do something I have never done before, ever in my life in Christian work. Uh, we've had a young man visiting our church named Goni. His last name is David. He's been attending our church for about three months now. Goni was born in Israel uh, to Jewish parents. At age eight, uh, his family moved here to the U.S. 
and uh, he uh, was raised going to a Catholic school with parents who were uh, just nominal, uh, Jew, uh, nominal Israelis practicing Judaism. Uh, the holidays, but not really much more than that. At 18 years old, the Israeli consulate knocked on his door and said, with a pair of handcuffs in their hand, they said, you can come with us to go serve in the military for three years, uh, or uh, you can go to jail. You decide. And so he, uh, he uh, was put on a plane at 18, flown back over to Israel, and served in the Israeli Defense Force until he was 21. And then he came back here uh, to the U.S. once he was done with that, went to college, uh, came back here. He now owns his own uh, food, uh, food truck, food business, and he met a young lady who attends our church. And so she said, I am a born-again Christian. And so uh, he decided he was going to come to church here and immediately fell in love with the preaching here, fell in love with the Bible, and uh, said, I want to see if we can get together for something to eat, and I want to get to know you better. And so on Monday, uh, we went uh, to a diner here in the area, and I sat with him, and I went through the gospel. And after I explained the gospel to him, he still wasn't quite clear. So I took him over to Matthew chapter 25, which has the parable of the ten virgins. And I explained to him that is a parable about the Israelites, how five of them uh, would be uh, left behind at the rapture because they do not have any oil in their lamp, uh, and five would be taken at the rapture because they do have oil in their lamp. And I explained to him how that uh, one day the Lord Jesus will sit and rule and reign in Jerusalem forevermore. His eyes got real big as I went through all that. He got real excited over all that. I asked him this question. I said, what does oil represent in this passage? He looked at me and he said, well, I don't know much, but I know this. Everyone who grows up in Israel knows this. Oil is a sign of the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, wouldn't you like to have the Holy Spirit in that lamp of truth? He bowed his head and he gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first time in my life I've gotten to lead an Israeli man or woman to the Lord. And uh, that was a neat experience. One day the Lord Jesus will come back and he will conquer uh, those enemies. We turn on the news right now and we see all that's going on on that side of the globe. But one day the Lord Jesus will rule and reign. I stood in the back of our auditorium this morning speaking with a church member who asked me, why is God letting all of these atrocities go on over in Israel? And I said, well, listen, one day God will right every wrong and he will set the record straight. We serve a God who conquers. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. I don't know what sin in your life is entrenched that you can't seem to beat. I don't know what relationship struggle that you're dealing with. I don't know, maybe you have a marriage problem. Maybe you have a parenting problem. Uh, maybe you have a, a work problem. Maybe you have a money problem. I don't know uh, what struggles you have in your life, but I know this, we serve a God who conquers. We serve a God who is ever strong. We serve a God who not only can conquer sin to save you, He can help conquer the problems that are in your life day in and day out. Let's jump into Isaiah 63 tonight and let's see this God who conquers. Number one, notice the Lord's revenge against His enemies. 
the Lord's revenge against his enemies. Isaiah 63, as we will see in just a moment, by turning over to Revelation 19, which is a direct parallel to Isaiah 63, this lays out very clearly uh, that one day the Lord will uh, seek vengeance. He will uh, avenge, get revenge of those who have wronged His people. The first three verses of Isaiah 63 describe letter A, His apparel. His apparel. Look down with me at Isaiah 63. Pay very close attention to the apparel of uh, the Messiah. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. I being a personal pronoun. This is Jesus speaking here. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the wine Press alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. What is that red? Well, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garment, and I will stain all my raiment. Hold your place there in Isaiah 63. Turn over to Revelation chapter number 19. Here he is saying in Isaiah 63 that I have the blood of my enemies on my garment. Imagine a man who has a, 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 a grape press and there are grapes all over the floor and he goes in and he squashes those grapes and the juice from those grapes splatter up on his uh, robe there and uh, uh, stain the robe red. And that's exactly the imagery we're getting here, except Jesus is not stomping out. The Messiah is not stomping out grapes. He's stomping out enemy. And that press is not uh, a vine juice. Rather, it is the blood of the enemies. Look at Revelation 19 and look at verse number 11. We see here the apparel of Jesus as he fights the battle in Megiddo. The Bible says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now while you're looking that, we see here in Isaiah 63, verse 1, he says, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Uh, Revelation 19, verse 11, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Look at verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Verse 13, He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Verse 1 of Isaiah 63, Who is he that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? Uh, this is that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. So it's a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called what church? The Word of God. Uh, this is Jesus coming back down in Revelation 19 to avenge his enemies, and we're given a great description in Isaiah 63 that lines up beautifully with Revelation 19. We see that this is the Lord Jesus coming down to avenge Israel in their sorrow. Not only do we see letter A, his apparel, apparel we see letter B, his anger, his anger. Go back with me at Isaiah 63. 
Look down at verse number 4. The Bible says, For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury, my fury, is up, it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury and I will bring down their strength to the earth. There will only be a sect of time where the enemies of Israel are able to attack and hurt and malign and abuse. I have watched with horror the news as uh, people have grabbed an Israelite uh, in the midst of one of these pro-Hamas rallies and have assaulted them. One man even out in California being killed uh, in one of these rallies. And then you see the Israelites that gather there in Washington, D.C. there. And one police officer said, I got more, th- I got enough thank yous for an entire career just from that crowd there yesterday. There was no pro-genocide ch- uh, chant. Uh, there was not a piece of trash even hardly left behind. They were peaceful in what they did there, marching on Washington, you can see the great contrast between the two. One day the enemies of Israel will be avenged by uh, the one who owns them and loves them. Uh, Turn with me back to Revelation 19 and look with me at verse number 14 as we see the armies of Israel, the armies of of, uh, Jerusalem will be uh, one day trodden under by their Messiah. Verse 14, "...in the armies which were in heaven." Followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who is this army? I believe this army, and this will be another Bible study for another time, but I believe this army to be the church age saints, those who were saved during this era right now. We will come back with Jesus on these white horses. How many of you here have ever ridden a horse? Raise your hand if you've ever ridden a horse. I rode one in Peru a while back, and I hurt for a long time after I got off that horse. Your body has to get acclimated to that. But one day, we're all going to come back on white horses that are saved with Jesus, verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations, and he shall rule over them with a rod of iron. And he, look at the language here, and remember what we just read, treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Do you see the parallel language from Isaiah 63 here to Revelation 19. Uh, He's going to tread the winepress. Look here. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men both free and bond both small and great and I saw the beast this is the Antichrist and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army this is not going to go so well 
for the anti-Israeli sentiment. Look at verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, uh, with which he deceived them that he had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which a sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were killed with their flesh. These enemies of Israel will be gathered together into one last war, and they will come up against Israel there in the valley of Megiddo, and it will not be a war that will last very long. In fact, it won't really be a war. It will be a battle that will end rather quickly when God takes the captain of their army, uh, the devil in the Antichrist, throws them into the lake of fire, and then with swords proceeding out of his mouth, uh, squashes the enemies and kills them whole. He will avenge his people. Vengeance will be found. The Lord's anger will be put forth, and he will rule and reign forever. So what do we see that the Lord conquers here? Through the verse, first six verses, write this down. He conquers the evildoer. He conquers the evildoer. And I want to say to you tonight, if there are evildoers in your life, the Lord God conquers evildoers. There is no one who shakes their fist at God and gets away with it. There is no one who takes an anti-God approach and in order to try to hurt his beloved and gets away with it. The Lord God conquers the evildoer. I don't know who is harming you tonight. I don't know who is hurting you tonight. But I know this, the Lord God conquers the evildoer. Number one, the Lord's revenge against his enemies. Number two, Israel's relationship with the Lord. Israel's relationship with the Lord. Verse 7, down quite a ways here, is going to lay out the tumultuous, difficult, complicated relationship that Israel has had with their Lord going all the way back to the beginning. Letter A, notice the Lord's regard for Israel. The Lord's regard for Israel. Look down with me at verse number 7 of Isaiah 63. Uh, The Bible says there, uh, it says, uh, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord. This is Isaiah speaking. And the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which He hath bestowed on them according to His mercies and according to the multitude of His loving kindness. For He said, Surely they are My people, children that will not lie. So He was their Savior. In all their affliction He was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Here we're being shown a glimpse or a window into the beginning of the relationship between God and the Israelites. God and the Israelites. Turn over to Hosea chapter number 11. And there are many verses I could take you to, but the Lord, going way, way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, has had a deep love 
for the Israeli people. In fact, while you're turning to Hosea 11, one verse that comes to mind is Jeremiah 31.3. The prophet wrote, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And the Lord loved Israel. The Lord loved His people. Um, the Lord had an innocence even in His love of the Israelites. Uh, have you ever, as a, a parent or uh, of, of maybe a nephew or niece or someone you had a deep fondness for, have you ever looked at a child and said, oh, they're so innocent and precious they could do nothing wrong? God looked at Israel in its infancy and said, oh, they're so precious, I don't even think they could lie. Look at Hosea chapter 11. Look at verse 1. When Israel was a child, God says, then I loved him. And called my son out of Egypt. Take your Bible over to Psalm chapter 87. Psalm chapter 87 and verse 2. The love that God has had for His people runs rich and deep and real. And uh, that is not faded even to today. Uh, God loves His people. Look at Psalm 87 Look at verse 2. The Bible says, The Lord loveth the gates of Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion, or Jerusalem, more than all the dwellings of Jacob. He loves the gates of Jerusalem. He loves the gates of Zion. That love that God has for Israel, it runs deep, it is rich, it is real, and uh, that has never wavered. Christian, I want to tell you tonight that no matter how you might waver toward God, God in His love never wavers toward you. Uh, I've had times in my life where I surged spiritually and grew. I've had times where I've backslidden and I've been away from the Lord. But this much has remained the same. God's love for me has never wavered. He loved, has loved me just the same. He's loved you just the same. We see the Lord's regard. Letter B, we see Israel's rebellion. Israel's rebellion. Look at verse number 10 back in our text, Isaiah 63. It says, But they rebelled. But they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore He was turned to be their enemy and He fought against them. What a sad verse. The Lord God in His loving kindness... He loved them. He, he coddled them. He cared for them. And what did they do? How did they repay Him? They rebelled. They ran the opposite direction. Psalm 78, verse 40. The psalmist wrote, How oft did they provoke Him in the wilderness and grieve Him in the desert? And isn't this the story of Israel? God loves them and they rebel. And then there's a rebuke, and there's a repentance, and then what, uh, what, what happens? They go right back to rebellion, and then rebuke, and then repentance. Rebellion, rebuke, repentance. Rebellion, rebuke, repentance. And i got to tell you, when I read through the Old Testament, and I read the account of Israel, and they're murmuring, and they're complaining, and then they're a, a spiritual adultery with idolatry, I get a little upset with the Israelites, and then I have to take a big pause and say, that's me. That's me. I fall into the same trap they do. I, I fall into the same trap of ingratitude. I fall into the same trap of, of, of uh, falling in love with sinful things. And, and I rebel and I run from the Lord. 
How about Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 27, where God says, for I know, rather, um, uh, Moses says, for I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. Behold, while I am yet alive with you this day, ye have been rebellious against the Lord, and how much more after my death. And oh, how Moses wasn't wrong. He said, I, I'm the one that went into Egypt. I led you from Egypt into this wilderness. And I have led you for 40 years around this wilderness while you've bickered and whined and complained against God. He said, I've watched this for 40 years. How much worse is it going to be after I die? And did it get worse after he died? Yes, it did. Read the book of Judges. What happened? That, that cycle of, 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 of uh, regard and then rebellion and then rebuke of being carried away into captivity and then repentance and right back into that lovey-dovey state with God, that love or regard, and then right back into the rebellion. And you know what? That is exactly what happened is they rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. Why is it that God doesn't give up on Israel? Why is it that God hasn't yet given up on Israel? Because letter C, we see the Lord's reputation. The Lord's reputation. Go back to verse number 11 of, of Isaiah 63. And I'm, I want to lay out for you a truth here tonight that isn't just applicable to Israel. It's applicable to us. The Bible says, Then he remembered the days of old. Moses and his people saying, Where is he that brought them up out of the sea? Well, the shepherd of, with the shepherd of his flock, uh, where is he that put his Holy Spirit within him? That led them by the right hand of Moses, with his glorious arm, dividing the water before them, to make himself an everlasting name. That led them through the deep, as an horse, uh, in the, uh, in the wilderness, that they should not stumble, as a beast goeth down in the valley. The Spirit of the Lord causeth him to rest, so didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. Back in verse 11. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people, saying, Where is he that brought them up? Where is he? And you know what? When the Israelites are lost in uh, uh, in bondage and and they're broken in their captivity and, and it looks as though God has forsaken them and abandoned them, people sit back and say, Well, where is the God that led them out of Egypt? Where is the God that parted the Red Sea? Where is the God that provided for them for 40 years? Where is the God that led them into their promised land? Where is the God that gave them victory over Jericho and Ai and all the rest of the cities? Hey, where is that God today? And there are people who look at what's going on over on the other side of the globe and they say, where is their God? And the answer is, God has not forgotten about them. One day, He will avenge them, uh, not because they're worthy of it, but because He is going to protect His good name. The Lord cares about His reputation. Now listen to me on this. There is a difference between our character and our reputation. You see, our character is who God knows that we are. Our reputation is what we want other people to think about us. 
Uh, our reputation is who people think we are. Our character is what, uh, who God knows that we are. And you see, there is a gap between our character and our reputation. You see, usually our reputation lives above our actual character. People think this, this, and this about Pastor Lejeune, but God knows this, this, and this about Pastor Lejeune. And uh, I, you don't know my, all of my struggles, and I don't know all of your struggles, but the Lord knows all of our struggles. And so we come to church and we put out this front that we have it all together and our reputation is up here while our character is truly down here. Did you know with God, His reputation is dependent on how we present Him to a lost and dying world. Here's the reality. God's character is up here. But oftentimes, because Christians are so poor in how we present Him, His reputation is down here. The Lord cares deeply about His reputation. Have you ever heard the quote, You may be the only Bible that someone ever reads? You may be the only Bible someone ever reads. Hey, you know what? That person I work with at work, they go to church and they claim to be a Christian. If that's what Christianity is... I don't want anything to do with it. They're not going to pick up a Bible and read it, but they're reading you. They're watching you. They hear you laugh at the dirty joke. They see that you go places you shouldn't. They see that you're involved in things you shouldn't be. And they think, well, he or she's no different than I am. The Lord cares deeply about His name. And Christians, we need to do our best to present the Lord well. Uh, let me show you a couple passages here. Turn over to Psalm 18 in verse 1. Psalm 18 in verse 1. Why is it the Lord chastises us? Why is it the Lord rebukes us? Why is it that the Lord brings us back in line as He ought to? The reason is because He cares about His own name. Look what the psalmist said about the Lord. We see here eight attributes that the psalmist attributes to God in just three verses. Look here. He says, I will love Thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. Who is the Lord? He's these eight characteristics laid out in Psalm 18. Our strength, our rock, our fortress, our deliverer. Again, our strength. Uh, he is our buckler, our horn of salvation and our high tower. Turn over just a handful of chapters to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. I like this next part. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. What's the rest of that verse say? For His name's sake. Why is it that He leads us in paths of righteousness? Not for our name's sake. He does it for His name's sake. 
Why is it that God corrects rebellion and those who are His own? He does it for His namesake. God's not just going to let you live in sin and run around and do what you want and act like you want and behave however you want while you have His name attached to you. No, He's going to rebuke you. He's going to correct you because His reputation is on the line. One day the Lord will finish His rebuke of rebellious Israel and He will indeed restore them. So what does the Lord conquer? Well, the Lord conquers the evildoer, but write this down next to number two. The Lord conquers rebellious hearts. The Lord conquers rebellious hearts. You don't get to live with a rebellious heart and be a child of God. He is going to deal with you he is going to correct you. Some uh, A little over a year ago, I noticed that Matthew was growing cold toward me. And it wasn't that he was rebelling against me. He was growing cold toward me. And so I put him in my truck and we went for a little ride. And I said, Bud, we're not getting out of this vehicle. Do you and I get to the bottom of this? What is going on? You know what I was doing? I was keeping him from moving in a direction of being rebellious. I didn't want, and listen, Matthew's never once rebelled against me to this day. I pray it stays that way. I want him to maintain a tender heart toward me. You say, Pastor Lejeune, why is it that you don't want Matthew to be rebellious? Because I want what's best for Matthew. But can I also tell you this? I'm just being very transparent and honest with you right now. If Matthew or April rebel and run for me, and then you know what? That tarnishes my name as a parent. It does. You say, well, that sounds like a selfish motive. Well, it might be somewhat selfish motive, but I want my son to grow up and do what's right because the Lejeune family name is on the line. God looks down at me and you and He says, hey, you need to behave yourself because you represent me. Number three, let's finish this up. Letter number three, we see the Lord's redemption of the Israelites. This is my favorite part of the Bible study. Letter A, we see His everlasting remembrance. Look down at verse 15. Isaiah 63, look down at verse 15. Look down from heaven and behold from the habitation of thy holiness and of thy glory. Where is thy zeal and thy strength? The sounding of thy bowels and of thy mercies toward me. Are they restrained? Doubtless thou art our father, though Abraham uh, is ignorant of us. And Israel acknowledges us, acknowledge us not. Thou, O Lord, art our Father, our Redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting. The Israelites strayed so far away from who they should have been in Abraham and Jacob or Israel that they would not even be recognized or known. But God never forgets His own. He never forgets His own. You can wander from God and you can defraud your, uh, yourself as a child of God. He never forgets His own. De- Deuteronomy 4.37 And because He loved thy fathers, therefore He chose their seed after them and brought thee out in His sight and His mighty power out of Egypt. He never forgets His own. Uh, letter B, we see His eventual reconciliation. His eventual reconciliation. I could do an entire Bible study just on these verses here. We could spend a whole evening just covering these. Um, You have the references there on the back of your outline. I encourage you to go home and do that. But let's look at this quickly. Look at verse 17. 
O Lord, why hast Thou made us to err from Thy ways and harden our heart from Thy fear? Return for Thy servant's sake the tribe of Thine inheritance. The people of Thy holiness have possessed it but a little while. Our adversaries have trodden down Thy sanctuary. We know the temple has been destroyed. Where are Thine? Thou never bearest rule over them. They were not called by Thy name. And so they're calling out, crying out for reconciliation. Let me take you to a handful of places here. If you can, quickly find your way over to uh, Zechariah chapter number 14. And uh, we're going to look at Zechariah and then a passage in Ezekiel and then a passage in Romans. Zechariah, uh, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi. So if you just go to Matthew and flip back a few books to the left there, you'll find Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. Due to time, I'm going to start reading. Verse number 2. You can catch up when you get there. Uh, the Bible says here, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity. Speaking of Jerusalem, half the city will be carried away into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. Now notice, the Lord Himself will fight against those nations, as when He fought in the day of battle. And His feet shall stand... This is literal. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. This has not yet happened. Which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. This is speaking of Jesus coming down and fighting this great battle in Megiddo and how He will fight the enemies and trample them. Uh, turn over to Ezekiel chapter number 20. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter number 20. Look with me at verse number 37. Ezekiel 20 Verse 37, turn furiously, turn rapidly. i got about four minutes here and I've got to be done. Ezekiel chapter 20, And I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out from among you the rebels and them that transgress against me. In Israel right now, there are Arab and Israeli living side by side. Those who worship Allah and those who worship Jehovah God. One day He will purge Israel of the rebels. And it goes on and says, I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. He's going to purge the goats from the sheep, and He's going to establish His people there. Turn over to Romans chapter number 11. We're talking about this eventual reconciliation. Uh, Romans chapter number 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then the book of Romans. Back in Zechariah 14, a little bit deeper down, it says, They will look upon Him whom they have pierced. When He does come, they will look upon Him whom they have pierced and they will weep. So this is not something that's happened yet. Jesus was crucified, ascended back to heaven. He's not yet come back down for His people to acknowledge 
Him is Jehovah. Uh, rather, Him is the Messiah. Uh, Romans 11, look at verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mercy, lest you should be wise in your own conceit. Uh, conceits that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. That's the church. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sin. So there's going to come a day when the fullness of the Gentiles or the church has been complete. Israel will be saved. The ungodliness will be turned from them. Again, speaking to Goni this past week, he shared with me that much of Israel is just secular in their nature. Much of the Israelites are secular in their nature and in their thinking. But one day, that ungodliness will be turned away. There will be a separating out of the lost, uh, uh, or rather of the of the unbelieving uh, infidel, and there will be a reestablishment of God's people. There will be a reconciliation. And so what is it that the Lord God conquers? Well, write this down for point three. He conquers relational brokenness. He conquers relational brokenness. Now, this passage, Isaiah 63, is written to the Israelites. But can I tell you what is true not only for the Israelites and for us, The Lord conquers evildoers, whether they're Jew or Gentile. The Lord conquers rebellious hearts, whether you're a Gentile Christian or you're a Jewish Christian. And the Lord conquers relational brokenness. I don't know what relational brokenness you are going through tonight, but I know this, the Lord God knows how to conquer that. We must just learn to trust Him. Amen? He is a God who conquers. He is mighty to save. I think of Romans chapter 8, where the Bible says, Paul said this, he said, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors, that him that trusts him. And uh, I'm glad to be on the winning side. What's the book of Revelation about? The book of Revelation is written to give the church age hope that one day we're going to win. We just need to stay faithful. Amen? All right. Let's stand to our feet.